This is episode 13 of the Creative Strings podcast with Lori Niles, founder of Violinist.com. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Today's episode with Lori Niles taught me something. (laughs) I thought it would be interesting to look behind the scenes of violinist.com, which is definitely one of the places at the heart of the violin world today. And uh, the conversation with Lori turned out to be really interesting. I hope you're going to like it. I'd like to thank and mention both of our sponsors. First of all, Electric Violin Shop. They've been with the podcast since the beginning. They're a wonderful resource for the community of electric bowed string players. And the thing I love about them the most is that you can call them and they'll literally answer any question you have about amplification, effects, electric instruments, pickups, you name it. So people ask me questions. What about this? What about that? I say call electric violin shop. I also want to thank Yamaha. I've worked with Yamaha for almost 20 years and really love to say that I think of them as family. Their attention to detail and their commitment to quality is really unmatched. And they provide tons of support, not only for my music educational initiatives, but for music education in general. So thanks to Yamaha and Electric Violin Shop. And now let's get into the episode. Everybody, we've got Lori Niles here from Violinist.com. Lori, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. So you founded Violinist.com, and there's just so many cool things I want to ask you about, because I've been super impressed by Violinist.com. Occasionally, I put up an article over there, and I try to make sure that I follow the rules and, <laughs> uh, you know, that sort of thing, and, and don't be annoying in any way. But I want to ask you a couple things about a lot of different stuff, because as the founder of Violinist.com, I think you have a unique perspective on the violin world and mm-hmm. a lot of different questions that I have about the violin world. Um, that I want to ask you. But first of all, I want to ask about the website because from my perspective, it's an amazing website. It's so sticky. Like people are there. Like people go to violinist.com. Whenever I go there, see everything's getting shared. There's tons of different kinds of articles. There's tons of content, not just from you, but also from the people that are just, you know, going to violinist.com. So I'm not even sure, like, when did you start the website exactly? Well, we started it very early on when it comes to the internet. We started it in 1996. That year, my husband gave me the domain name violinist.com as, I think it was a Christmas present. My birthday and Christmas are pretty close together. But anyway, you know, I didn't really even know what he was giving me. I just thought, oh, well, what an adorable geek. I mean, what on earth would I ever do with this, you know? And, and, you know, the thing is that I have an undergraduate degree in music, but a graduate degree in journalism. So I had already worked as a violinist in a number of orchestras, but also as a newspaper reporter. I, I was a reporter at the Omaha World Herald and <laughs> a number of other things. So, so my husband and I both are journalists. So in a way, we were on the same page with what to do with it. I knew it was probably going to be some kind of journalistic endeavor. But actually, the first thing I did was I thought, well, this is a great domain name. I bet other people would like to be able to put their resume up under this name. So the very first thing we did was allow people to have a profile page. It was like Facebook for violinists before Facebook even existed. (laughs) So that was the first thing uh, was just to allow people to list their resume on violinist.com. And then the second thing is we thought, well, we'll let people talk 
talk amongst each other. And so we did that. And those were wild days back then, the very early days of the internet. We were still learning about how to let people talk to each other because they have to be more accountable than they were in the very early days. Um, we soon discovered that allowing people to post anonymously was could lead to trouble because people get very brave when they're not posting under their own <laughs> name. They, they will say anything, you know, so we tightened up quite a lot of our expectations and our rules just to make for a more civil and useful kind of discourse. And then one day my husband said, you know, you should write a blog. And, and I said to him, well, what's a blog? <laughs> so that's how early it was. I figured out what a blog was. I feel like I was in some ways inventing for myself. Everybody was sort of inventing what a blog was, but it was an exciting, exciting medium because you can do so much. You can write, you can put video in there, you can link to things, you can put pictures in there. It's just, it's a pretty exciting place to be. So I've really loved inventing violinist.com, if you will. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize it had been around for so long. And I'm assuming that it took a while for it to take the shape that it's taken now, which I imagine it's it's always still evolving. You even mentioned you're, you've just recently done a redesign on the website, right? So you're yeah, still yeah. evolving. To, you know, 20 years later, you're still evolving. It's it just, it sounds like such a, to me, such a creative process, not only that you're writing and creating new content all the time as a, as a journalist or as a writer, but just, you know, creating <laughs> this thing, this thing and changing it all the time and, Kind of, you know, as a jazz musician, I can relate to that, you know. <laughs> I guess you can. <laughs> um, yeah. Are there things that people do now? Because you said you've tightened it up a lot. And so are there things that are like the most common annoying things to you that, you know, that you just wish that people, if they just would know to follow these rules better, that they wouldn't <laughs> do on your blog? Like, are, there, are there common things that, that still kind of irritate you, just things about courtesy or manners or any of those? Well, you know, I think I'm always encouraging people to be courteous. In some ways, I don't get as annoyed as maybe some people might think. I mean, I am a teacher too. I, I've got about 15 students and I also look at violinist.com as a teaching endeavor. So, you know, if somebody, if somebody comes onto the site and they say, you know, what is rosin? I, I mean, I want to invite that person that that doesn't annoy me. I want to invite that person in because I know that they're interested in the violin. I really, I think that, you know, just seeing how many people have come to violinist.com, what I realize is the huge potential to sort of welcoming people into this world of the violin, you know, and music and classical music and all the kinds of music that you can do on the violin. So if somebody is really interested in the violin and they're new to it and they really don't know what they're doing and it's quite obvious that they don't know what they're doing, I kind of hope that everybody will be kind to them. <laughs> you know, at the same time, I also Love it when people, you know, when they want to post something like, well, should you start that excerpt from Don Juan up bow or down bow? You know, the really arcane little detail type of things at the higher end of things. So I guess patience would be the thing that I would encourage in everybody. So I try to be fairly patient about it because always in my mind is there's somehow this person is interested in the violin. Unless they're just really not. Unless they're just kind of trolling or they kind of overly self-promotional. But a little bit of self-promotion is okay. You know, so there's, <laughs> there's a line there. Well, a lot of people post articles on, like I said, like I occasionally post an article on violence.com and that's something I always try to be sensitive about from my own standpoint, like, oh, I'm going to go post on Lori's website and I don't want to be too self-promotional or, you know, I don't want to post a bad article or, I mean, how many people post articles on violinist.com or how many wow. articles from other people, from other people are posted every month? Can do you know? You know, that is a really good question. And it's on the order of a half a dozen to a dozen other people besides myself per month. Well, maybe more than that. I do have a mechanism for sort of promoting the most useful articles. And, I, you know, what I'm looking for are articles that will really appeal to a general audience. You know, if the article is a little more like just kind of a personal journal, then then it was great for the person who 
wrote it, but I don't necessarily promote it to the front page of the website. But the ones that I feel will appeal generally, I promote those on Facebook and Twitter and to the front page. And what I mean by that are, you know, articles that help with what I consider the goal of the website, which is to promote excellence in violin playing, to give everybody an appreciation for the best violinists out there, things that help us learn better technique, things that help build community. So those are the things that I tend to promote, if that makes sense. <laughs> Personally, I think it's like a great service to the community in the sense that a lot of folks like myself who may want to share some kind of information, you know, we have an outlet to do that on your website. I mean, how many people come to violinist.com every day or every month? It's about 8,000 unique visitors a day, which is quite a lot. And, you know, some of them are regulars who come every day, and then others are pinging around on the internet just looking for violinist or violin. So, you know, the idea is to basically, I'm trying to get people addicted to the violin. <laughs> What are the topics that maybe you like that people write about, or are there any topics you wish there were more written on? Oh, well, yeah, there are topics that I'm trying to sort of, something about our new design is I'm trying to make it clear kind of what our expectations are and the things that I'd like to see more blogs about. And my husband once called it like a burrito, like uh, the content is like a burrito. It's got to have a little bit of cheese. It's got to have some salsa. It's got to have the meat. It's got to have, you know, just a bunch of different things that make it interesting. What I would like to see more of are useful articles about the business of being a musician and how we can, you know, best practices for how we can run better orchestras, better boards, how as a personal entrepreneurship, that type of thing, I think that I would like to see more content. And I, you know, I'm seeking to create more content like that, because I think these days, it's really up to us. One of the interviews that I did that I really like the most is with Deborah Borda, the executive director of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. They've been so incredibly successful. And during the middle of the big strike in Minnesota, I thought, well, I, I just want to write an article that's going to give people hope. <laughs> and, you know, and so I went and interviewed her just because I wanted to hear somebody who was successful and what they were doing and how it was working. And I think that's what I'd like to do is hold up those examples of what is working and how we can make it work and how we can spread that information among ourselves to create these best practices, you know, among orchestras all over and for soloists and even it just for somebody who has a quartet or a band that they're trying to promote, what's the best way to do it? So that's one area. Amazing. And then I think the other area where I'd really like to see more, I think we see a lot of technique articles, which I, I want to continue to see a lot of those. But another area is also I would like to create some best practice kind of articles for music education in the schools. I think a lot of times people try to start a program at a school and then they get surprised when they compromise too much. So what happens is their PTA will say, well, we'll give you two days after school to start your violin program. And then for some reason it doesn't work. Well, it would be great if people had a whole lot of information to back them up to say like, well, actually it can't be before school. It needs to be during the day and it needs to be at least three times a week. And we have to have an instrument for everybody. They have to be able to take it home. Just these kinds of things. I'd really like to have some art that will bolster educators in what they're trying to do. Those are great. This was occurring to me as you were talking about those things. Two things. I mean, number one, the violinist.com itself 
is a model of success, I think. I mean, that's what it seems to me. I mean, although if you're the business owner, I'm sure every business owner is always feeling like, oh, I wish we could do better, you know. But to me, from my vantage point, it's like it is so successful because so many other organizations or institutions or businesses within the music industry are trying to do some of the things that you're trying to do, i.e. educate or promote, you know, the same values that you're trying to promote, but they may or may not be succeeding on the, on the level or on the scale that you are. The amount of people that you're hitting with this free content and really quality content is, I think, a tribute to your success and the impact you're making on the industry in so many ways. So kudos, but also it's a real interesting thing because I think you're so positive and you're so authentic and clear in your vision about the things that you want to do to educate, to promote, you know, in a positive way and success has followed from those things. And here, you know, as a kind of amateur <laughs> business student, you know, <laughs> you're kind of, a lot of the things, a lot of the things I hear online and I know that you, I'm sure must study a lot of internet marketing and internet courtesy or protocol and that sort of things. It's a lot of what people talk about is kind of, you know, trying to keep it positive, being authentic, you know, being clear in your vision, you know, sort of trying to promote positive ideas and, and give to them and that success will fall from that. Maybe it doesn't always, but in the case of violence.com and you and, and Robert, your husband, it feels to me like it is, it does work. And it's a tribute to that idea. But really quickly, though, topics maybe that you don't like or that you see too much of, you hinted at it a little bit before about maybe personal journals. Uh, is, does that count? or, or are there- I don't mind personal journals. It's just that they do something for the person writing them. And I think that sometimes people identify with that, too. And sometimes those are very worthy, you know, well, things that I don't want to see. I'm so reluctant to say that because, you know, the minute I say that... <laughs> someone will rule out some really interesting way of doing things. I guess just, you know, keeping in mind a broader audience is what I would say to people who want to write blogs. I mean, maybe just a very general thing. I think maybe this sort of like gets into a different topic is that they can be very negative and self-loathing, <laughs> self-loathing. <laughs> and I guess I like to avoid that kind of thing. It's a really difficult instrument to play. And it takes a great deal of work to learn how to play it well. And everybody is at a different point in their journey playing the violin. And when people really attack each other, that, that's something I don't like too much. You know, like the typical example, uh, and you don't see it on my site, but you do see it on places like YouTube where, you know, there's this amazing, some amazing thing of Joshua Bell. And, and then somebody gets on and says, Joshua Bell sucks or something. That's insane. That's just insane. <laughs> you know, it's just right. really, you know, if you have different tastes, fine or whatever, but let's, let's show some appreciation for what people are doing. Or that can even happen at competitions where people get so rolled up in this competition. And then all of a sudden, you know, they'll say, oh, well, this person didn't deserve to win. They, they just, they're, they're horrible. And they're not, they're amazing. They're most of the time, those people, the people that are in competitions are incredibly accomplished and at a higher level than many of the people judging them at this moment in time, you know? So I think we could be kinder to one another. <laughs> Without without compromising excellence, I think we can still strive for like really high level of excellence and still be kind to each other. No, that's great. Actually, that prompts me to talk more on that subject about, you know, the different levels of excellence and there's different ways of looking at playing the violin or even teaching music. You know, a lot of us who come from this kind of elite, you know, track, you know, studying from the time we're really, really young and having an intensive education, I mean, that's a big part of the violin world, as you already you know, kind of referenced, like it's a difficult instrument, it takes a long time, especially to get to a high level, right? I mean, yes. you have, almost have to be on this like Olympic training path. And, you know, but from an educator's standpoint, a lot of teachers who I personally have learned from in this regard, you know, have helped me to see that you can teach people about the violin knowing that they're never gonna reach this kind of elite status but still see it as a valuable thing for whatever level they, they get to. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, really hard for a lot of us to wrap our brains around, especially being kind of in the elite violin world, right? But yeah. you must see a lot of that. I mean, you know, with adult beginners, 
Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, what do you think about that as a teacher yourself as well? Well, I think adult beginners are a lot like any other age of beginner. The only problem is it still takes them 10 years and they want <laughs> they want to find a way to make it happen faster usually. So they do look for shortcuts sometimes, but don't we all? I mean, the only shortcut is practice for 10 years. I love it when adults take on the violin. And I I only wish that there were more opportunities for things like a youth orchestra for adults would be great. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if, you know, I would love some kind of program where, you know, where you could get enough adults together that you could have some kind of an ensemble. And I, you know, it has happened. I've seen it. There, there are a couple programs Barbara over at Metzler Violin here. Yeah, well, you were just at Metzler Violin. She teaches adults and she has a little ensemble. And it's, I think it's a wonderful thing because that's part of the joy of playing the violin is playing with other people. And I think it's frustrating for an adult to start playing the violin and then they have to wait so long before they can do that. So I think that part of the reason that they enjoy violinist.com, the key is that, you know, finding people who are doing this and playing together, or at least talking, (laughs) talking together. I think that playing the violin is what gets people interested in listening to concerts and going to concerts. I think Baltimore Symphony really has it right in their program where they have a day, or a whole weekend, I think it is, where they invite amateurs to play with the orchestra. And I think that's wonderful because you get this group of people that come in and they sit side by side with members of the symphony. And then if they decide during the year to go to a concert, then it's even more meaningful because they can say, hey, oh, that's the person I sat next to. And I think that's a direction that we need to think about going in is redefining what an amateur is. The word means, you know, that they love the instrument rather than they're doing it professionally. And in some quarters, some might see an amateur as being sort of a superior thing to a professional because an amateur is one who just really loves playing. And I think that it would be wonderful to have a really strong amateur community for the violin. Do you think that there's a lot of elite violinists, you know, who are striving for that level of excellence, the uh, concert soloist virtuoso level of excellence. Do you think that they lose sight of, you know, the bigger picture of, you know, how how music touches people, how music music is a humanizing thing, the kind of vision that maybe a teacher always has, you know, with every student looking at the opportunity to give every student a violin is going to help them no matter what level they get to. And since you're in kind of both of these sectors or all three sectors as a journalist in the middle of the community as a teacher and as a high-level performing highly trained classical violinist i mean what do you think about that i think it's really easy to lose perspective i've spoken to a lot of violinists over the years i've probably done more than 100 interviews well more than that so you know i've spoken to a lot of soloists And I would say that the most successful among them actually don't lose perspective because to be successful, you really do have to have a a real love for the instrument. And the ones who are most successful foster that love that they have for the instrument. Take, for example, someone like Rachel Barton Pine. She has a slasher band. (laughs) I mean, she loves music in all forms. She's not so elitist that she doesn't love all kinds of music. At the same time, she's got an incredible depth of knowledge about classical music, period, performance, and all kinds of things like that. You know, I find that most of the really successful violinists, they have a love for all kinds of different music and a desire to experiment and to cross over, if you will, and and an appreciation for people who do music at a high level in any genre. You know, that said, I think people do lose perspective in college or if, you know, you lose an audition, it doesn't feel good. I've lost a bunch of them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, it feels bad. It makes you kind of bitter. You, you know, you, you work so, so hard. And then when somebody tries to make it sound simple, you just want to say, look, it wasn't simple. It took me a long time. You know, don't, <laughs> don't tell me it's simple. So, So I understand where it comes from. It comes from working so hard that everything that you get is so hard won 
But I think the trick is to continue to find that spark, the thing that made you do it in the first place, to keep it lit, right? To keep it going. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, you touched on another thing I wanted to ask about, which is, is about, I guess, call it crossover. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know that I'm, I'm classically trained, and, but then I went into a, sort of a different direction. I, I've never stopped loving classical music, but I'm really in love with jazz and other styles of music. And a big part of my mission is to transform the culture of music education by augmenting it with curriculum that includes more of an emphasis on teaching improvisation, composition, arranging, harmony, contemporary styles, and related subjects. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about wanting to get a broad audience. And and I assume that, you know, most of the people at violinist.com are more into classical music. But have you observed a shift or or a growth in the trend towards what I was talking about over the last 20 years at all? You know, honestly, I do find that the audience at Violinist.com is mostly interested in classical music. I do find that. At the same time, I do find an open-mindedness, too. I think that people are interested in exploring different genres. The thing is, though, when you first discover classical music, if you haven't discovered it before, and and you discover that it's not as intimidating as you thought... It's a wonderful thing. You know, it's just really, it's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful kind of music. You know, everything about Bach and it's just, I think it's terribly interesting if you've never, if you're just first exploring it. And at the same time, we really need to relate to our, our own times, (laughs) you know? It springs to mind Laura St. John, you know, she did a a cover of Anaconda. which is a rap song. She said there wasn't a, like a pitch in the whole thing. You know, she was just trying to sort of do rap on her violin. I think we want to connect with the culture that's going on around us at the same time as we want to connect with this great music that came before us. And that's, that's just so compelling. So, yeah, I think it's a real trick figuring out how to do that, you know, and keep it compelling. It sounded to me almost for a second like implicit in your vision of promoting the violin that you're really committed to promoting classical music, too. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I would say that is true because it's a wonderful form of music that some people get too intimidated by to ever explore. And I I do want people to be able to explore it. I do, because I, I believe in classical music. I really do. And I'm not a snob about it. I, I love all kinds of music, but I feel like I've had some amazing experiences with classical music, you know, as alone in the practice room, but also playing with quartets and playing with orchestras. And, you know, it connects us with the past in a way that little else can, really. It's like this way of bringing the past to life, you know, just really literally, you, you create it anew, yet it's from another time. It's, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, I, all music is that way. I really am very committed to diversity in every way on violinist.com. So, I really always welcome the opportunity to communicate really well the virtues of all kinds of different genres. It's great. In fairness to my audience and to you, you know, I feel like I have to almost say I'm, I'm going outside the bounds of journalistic protocol here because I'm sort of I'm sort of <laughs> I'm advancing into my own agenda a little bit here so I just want to say that as a fair do warning or whatever but from my perspective as an advocate for all the things that I already mentioned the, the mission that I'm on you know which is sometimes it feels like the work that I do is viewed by many people proponents of the classical music community as a as a supplement right mm-hmm. or as a diversion and, you know, even there is one time that, uh, one of the first times we met, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't mean to put you to the spot here, but we did, uh, Jazz Violin Day, and it was a Yamaha event in, in, uh, California, and the first time I met you, and you were invited, and you came out, and it was in Pasadena, 
and it was a bunch of Yamaha performing artists, including myself, and we did a concert. Do you remember that? Yeah. At the end of the concert, you came up, you were really nice, and you said, oh, that was just so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Which is a really nice compliment, obviously. And, and it reminds me of when you talk about the Anaconda cover, you know, it was accompanied by, you know, a laugh, which makes sense. Or, you know, Rachel's Shredder Band, also accompanied by a laugh. And, and because, and for me, that's something I'm sensitive to, probably mm. overly sensitive to. I have a chip on my shoulder about it because I believe that teaching, it's not, and it's not just about teaching other styles of music. And obviously, you know, Anaconda is a fun song or, you know, a rap or doing a rap on a violin well, is a fun thing. Yeah, and it should be promoted that way. But on the other hand, it's the thing that I've devoted the last 25 years of my life to. And it's something very serious about, you know what I mean? And it's so used to not being taken seriously. And I, I want to bring it back around to, because when I listen to the passion that you have talking about how you want to share classical music with people who are intimidated by it or who may have, who may have a, a misunderstanding about it, I realize that we have exactly the same position. Mm-hmm. We're not competing with each other. We both feel passionate about wanting to promote something that we think is beautiful. So I, I don't know what, how that strikes you. I think it's all about communication, really. So if I have an audience of, you know, mostly classical musicians, I have to start where they're at and bring them somewhere else. If I'm talking to a room full of kids who have never heard classical music, I have to start where they're at and bring them somewhere else, if that makes sense. So if I'm, sure. if I'm talking to somebody who's not that familiar with rap... They're more familiar with Bach. Well, actually, anybody's going to giggle if they see the Anaconda video. It's kind of a booty. <laughs> it's kind of a booty rap kind of, you know. <laughs> and, and you know, Lara St. John is is so just fun. She makes you giggle. But but I see what you mean. You know, something that's fun takes a lot of work too. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I, I don't know, no, but I also I, think that I also think that Mahler's fun, though. I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> no, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm not trying to call you out necessarily. But, but it's, I'm sort I of just, hoping I that people, I, I don't know, like if somebody came back after my concert and said that was so fun, <laughs> right. that'd be good because, you know, I, I would like sure. people to take delight in music. You know, I don't want them to just appreciate it. I want them to take delight in it. And I think the problem, the image problem that classical music has is that people think that they're not allowed to. Right. Uh, You know? Yeah, good point. So, and and I I find delight in jazz all the time. I, um, Mm. when I was a kid, the youth orchestra that I was in had a parallel jazz program at the same time. And so all the concerts were shared and I kind of learned early on like, oh yeah, you're going to clap after everybody's solo and hoot and holler. And, you know, I mean, Mm. it's very delightful. It's a little less, Mm. um, you know, Mm. sit down, button up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't rustle your paper. Right. So, you know, there's something innately kind of fun and delightful about the jazz situation. So, so I don't think I was at all surprised to take delight in a jazz concert. But I was delighted to see a bunch of violinists doing it. Because, you know, in that youth orchestra that I was in, there was no place for violinists to be in the jazz orchestra. It was never even thought of. Right. But now I, pr- I have one of my students is in his jazz band at school, so I'm happy about that. I mean, I really think that for the violin, we need to break down some walls. I think that violinists should be allowed to be in their school jazz program mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Oh, that's great, actually. Well, thank you. And yeah, and I'll take a, a good lesson from that, that I need to take myself less seriously. So, well, <laughs> you know, I understand um, what you're saying, though. I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't be able to get up and improvise. I do deeply appreciate those skills that I don't have. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, the connection, I guess, that I'm just recognizing, again, that we both have is that we're trying to promote something that we believe in 
that we think maybe slightly different things, both connected by the violin, mm-hmm. um, maybe we feel is in some ways misunderstood. And we want to share those things with people so that people can really get the joy and the enrichment that comes from them. So I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that connection that we have. And I'm not going to look at it as... Because <laughs> one of my problems, I think, is looking at, you know, that I'm, they have this adversarial relationship with the, the classical community somehow, you know, that I'm, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, that what I'm trying to do is, is somehow marginalized, right? And I don't know if it you, is. Maybe. Oh, yeah? Please. <laughs> No, I, I, I think in some ways people are intimidated by what you're doing. I, I mean, mm. the whole chord reading and like what you were saying in the workshop that I attended that you did, there is a whole set of knowledge that you have to have to, to be able to effectively play jazz and improvise and sort of a different way of reading music with chords and something that classical musicians are not trained in. And that makes it a little harder to jump in, you know, because... If you're a player, at least. I mean, I know that I can't go just play a jazz set. No way. <laughs> you know, I'd need to, to do a, a certain amount of education that I don't have. Some of it I do have, but there's a certain part of it that I don't. So and I don't do you know. think, therefore, that the way that, that violinist education is structured is, is therefore maybe too narrow and, and should be broad? I really do think it depends on each musician's goal because you can do it all. But I think the main thing that people need is an awareness of what they can do, a broader awareness of what is possible so that when they make a choice, if they choose, well, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to concentrate on being an orchestral musician or I'm going to concentrate on jazz or I would actually like to be in a band, you know, so that they can tailor what they're doing to something that they can have more choices about what they want to do. Because certainly, you know, in music school, if the only choice offered is to be an orchestral musician or a soloist, that's just, that's just a different world. I don't think that world is around anymore. I mean, hopefully, if you go to music school, it would be great to have some lessons in entrepreneurship. The idea that you're going to probably be doing all your own promotion and... <laughs> And you may want to be in a band. You may want to be... There's just so many more options than I think have been traditionally offered to violinists. In particular, we've really been relegated to the classical. Would now you you're agree? Now you my language. But, but it's true. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, I don't think if you're a trumpet player, you don't go to music school and have people say, well, you're going to be in an orchestra. That's your only choice. That or be a soloist, you know? But typically, if you're a violinist, I know at least one violinist. Now, of course, this violinist is more like our age, but he wanted to study jazz violin and he had to take lessons from a saxophone teacher to get his degree in jazz studies at USC as a violinist. Not in my opinion, is a better alternative than them telling him, no, you can't study here. Definitely. Because now, definitely. Because we don't have a jazz violin teacher. So definitely. Is, I applaud them. Yes. Giving him that opportunity because I'm seeing with colleges that they're just saying flat out, no, we don't have a jazz violin teacher. not do jazz here. Okay, well, <laughs> then you're right. But then I think it can go a step further as well, you know. So, I you know, maybe... It, I think it is, though, it's about communication, it's about education. I think that, that really, it's not the jazz musicians that people are horrible about. It's the pop musicians. It's people like Lindsey Sterling. It's people like Andre Rue, the band Bond. And I, I don't think we need to shower so much disdain on, on people like this. I, I feel like they're doing something unique. They're doing something for our art. They're doing something that inspires kids and inspires a general public. I spoke to Lindsay Sterling and she seems to be very authentic in what she's doing. It is a little bit on the commercial side, but she isn't selling out. She's it's her vision. It's clearly her right. vision and disagree with it or not, she's going for it. And the things that she wants to do that maybe she doesn't have expertise in, she finds people to help her and she takes lessons and she, you know, she's taken lessons in violin and in dancing and she's just, she's got this vision. She wants to do it. She's an artist. I think she is. But people want to make fun of her and make fake covers of her doing the box sonatas and partitas. I, I, I think it's just inappropriate. I don't find it fun to make fun of her. I don't. And, and I think the people that have to do that, there's something a little bit wrong with that. You don't have to love what she's doing, but I respect it. <laughs> We're definitely finding common ground here. You know, it's interesting because as a, in the jazz world, you know, people get just as elite 
yes, <laughs> they do as they do as they do in the classical world. And you know, this is this isn't cool. Only this is cool, and you're not cool until you can do this, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you said that because I used to. I'll confess that I used to be the kind of person that would have made fun of Lizzie Sterling, but I'm not anymore mm-hmm. for all the reasons you just said. And and I agree with you completely, a hundred percent, that Lindsay Sterling is an artist. She writes her own music. And she seems to be very sincere from the heart. She does help make the tent bigger. I mean, she's. Yeah. I, I, I'm, get, I'm guessing that Lindsay Sterling is maybe the most famous violinist in the history of the universe. You know, I, you're, I, you're probably right about that, considering, yeah, the size of the world right now. <laughs> I have to say, also mention that Lindsay and I um, are on the same roster of Yamaha performing artists. Right. She, uh, she does play the Yamaha electric violin. Well, you got really passionate there, Lloyd. I love that. That's so <laughs> great. And so, so well, we, I just we, am. <laughs> I just am. Part of the reason that I've like killed myself making this website, which started out just as a labor of love, is that I just love the violin. Nobody made me play the violin. I just wanted to. I I love it. So there. But when you started talking about how someone is an artist, you know, that's where I get passionate too, you know, because for people to just say, oh, you know, that's just, that's not serious what Lindsay Sterling's doing. I disagree with that. It is serious because it's really so creatively self-expressed in so many levels. And it's such a personal thing. It's taken her a lot of work to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing I was alluding to earlier too about, you know, that, I don't want to be in the work that I do. I don't want to be written off by classical musicians. It's like, that's just some stupid, silly diversion or whatever. And I see that you identify with that. And also that you're a creative artist in my, in the sense of my definition that we already, as I already talked about earlier, because you're really making it up as you go with, you know, as far as the whole picture of, you know, clarifying your vision and managing and nurturing and creating this evolving, living, piece of art that is violinist.com. Oh, thank you. You know, I really can relate to you in that way because I feel like becoming a classical violinist, a lot of it is about being an interpretive artist, but that's a, that's a creative process. I don't mean to diminish it, you know, but there's a different kind of creativity that happens when you're generating something from scratch, you yeah. know, when you're, when you're writing an article and you have to sit down and say, what am I going to write about? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have to make that choice and, and just come up with a, a new piece that comes from nothing. Well, I also want to segue into one other topic, if you don't mind, and and I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I'm really interested to hear about, and I'll just give a little bit of lead into it, which is that the culture in classical music changed a lot, I think, over the last 50 years in terms of the opportunity for women to succeed in classical music, because there used to be this, they instituted the curtain in orchestra auditions, and before there was the curtain, apparently... From what I've heard, you know, it was hard for women to get auditions or get jobs in orchestras. And so that's changed a lot, maybe in a way that our generation, or at least for me, I'm not as privy to because of my, because of a man or because of my generation. But I'm seeing with my daughter now, who's 18, and she's very interested in going into the jazz world as well as the classical world, that there's hardly any women in jazz. And Hmm. I'm realizing it must be really, really challenging for, for women on a lot of levels to enter that foray. And I'm wondering just what you think about it as a woman. Well, definitely there are a lot of women classical artists. It's funny, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, the classical artists who right now, the women who are new moms, sort of, (laughs) like Rachel Barton Pine and Anna Kiko Myers and Hilary Hahn. But then, you know, I realized that I also spoke, I'm forgetting who it was, to a young male artist who's a new dad. And it seemed like more than before, you know, the men are sharing in that. (laughs) So that, you know, it's not just, you know, the new mom that has to really, really struggle with being a mom and doing this solo life. But anybody who's a parent has to struggle greatly, I think, 
it's kind of nice to see that it's more shared these days. But yeah, just breaking barriers. I think it's always... Have you personally felt that, you know, being a woman, that there's been obstacles, you know, for you in the music industry and any strategies that you had to employ to, to overcome those barriers? There have been some issues over album covers over the years. Janine Jansen, Laura St. John, you know, like the sexy album cover. Vanessa May comes to mind. Uh huh. And and I think women get really taken to task for that. And I don't know, in some ways, it seems a little overblown. I know when I spoke to Janine Jensen about it, she said, well, look, you know, I kind of enjoy that day with the photographer. It's just, you know, it's a different thing. You you take a pretty picture. And so they just wanted to look good. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Laura St. John said, well, you know, Bach makes you feel naked. That was my idea, you know, with her cover that was controversial. And I totally, honestly, I totally believe her. I don't think it was some cynical marketing thing. I, knowing Laura St. John, I think that Bach does make you feel naked, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. if, you're sta- if you're on stage playing solo Bach, I mean, that's true. <laughs> if you put out a nice looking cover, it's a cynical marketing ploy. But if you don't then it seems like there's a consequence for that, too. So I don't know. Do you think that one takeaway from your response would be that women do have a fair shot in the classical you know, world, that, that, that a lot of the barriers from 50 years ago you know, have been erased or done away with? Do you Go think ahead. that's true? Well, yeah, I think there's still some European orchestras that are hanging on. But actually, I'm not sure which one's... They are, but but in America, (laughs) it's not unusual. It's not unusual in America to to see an orchestra with more women than men, and that that might also be an issue. Got you. And but aren't there issues that face young women going into college? Yeah, you know, and I don't know much about that. I don't know how much I want to go into detail about it. I mean, you know. There's the whole teacher that wants to sleep with you, conductor that wants to sleep with you thing, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably age-old problem for women. Maybe this is a naive question for me to ask. Maybe it's an appropriate question to ask. But how would you advise for a young woman in that situation to, to handle a situation like that? I don't even know if you can give an answer to that question. A, don't go there. I mean, don't do it because it won't help. That would be the main thing to advise Yeah, I think that there have been women that are more my age or older that really suffered from those kinds of situations. What should men in general do in professional situations? What can men do, you know, in these kinds of situations? Maybe it's a professor, maybe it's a conductor, maybe it's a, you know, a contractor or, you know, to be more sensitive to women to be more appropriate. Maybe some people think that these issues don't exist anymore, but assuming they do, I just feel like I I should ask the question. You know, I think they do. Uh, It's pretty common sense, you know, just keep the kind of boundaries that you would keep if this person was your daughter or mother. There you go. That's good. I like that. Well, I want to wrap up and I want to make sure that I let people know the full extent to which they can really take advantage of the resources of violence.com. I mean, from what I know, you know, people can create a profile, they can have their own, you know, sort of page or, you know, home at violence.com. It's really easy to do. I have a page there. I have a, and I have a blog on violence.com so people can go there. And I forget, I guess you can probably go on there and search for my name and find my blog. And uh, you can interact with other people there. And uh, But also, you can go to violence.com and you can see so much cool stuff every week, every day. There's just so many great articles about everything. And it's been an awesome resource for me. I love your articles, but I also love a lot of the contributors. And people can contribute on violence.com. And people really should go to violence.com. And probably a lot of people might want to consider signing up as a sponsor, I think, too, because it's such a great place to get visibility. And from what it seems like, it's maybe one of the best deals on the Internet these days for sponsorship. I mean, there's a a lot of opportunities to get visibility. 
online that are maybe more valuable, more targeted. So I know there are some sponsors at, at violence.com, but uh, people listening might want to give that a, a thought. Is there anything I've, I haven't well, mentioned? Yeah, I would say, yeah, It's as far as sponsorship is concerned, we've tried to make it very easy if you would like to be a sponsor and if you'd like to be listed as a sponsor. We have a business directory. We encourage people to use the businesses that are in the business directory. And then as far as writing blogs are concerned, I am the editor of violinist.com and I'm always very happy to help people who want to write a blog. If you wish to write a blog that is, you know, one of the promoted blogs that people will read a lot, I'm happy to read it over for you. I'm happy to help you post the photo or just give you advice. Wow. We do have a page on there. It's called How to Get Publicity on Violinist.com, but it really goes through how to write a blog and kind of what the rules are. And part of the reason we don't want you to be too commercially in the blogs is it's Mostly because people aren't going to like it. <laughs> you know, the readers are not going to like it. So, you know, we have sort of some guidelines to help you figure out what's appropriate and what's not. And also just, you know, what people want to read about. And there's so many people with different expertise and expertise that I don't have. I love it when somebody, you know, like you, Christian, when you write, I love it because I'm not a jazz violinist. I love the perspective that you bring. And I'd like to see other perspectives than my own be represented. And I can write an article about jazz violin, but you can write a different article that I, I'd like people to see. And so I would love to have those different kinds of perspectives, different kinds of teachers, different players that play in various genres, people who are maybe very good at marketing themselves, all those different kinds of things represented. So there you go. Well, speaking it. of marketing yourselves, uh, I mean, anybody listening to this right now, I'm going to give you a call to action, which is go write a blog at violence.com right now, because not only does Lori generously welcome you to include a link back to your own website, she also generously allows you to repurpose your post on violence.com back at your website, as long as you provide a link, a reciprocal link to violence.com. And that's an amazing opportunity. I mean, that's more than a two-for-one. It's like a hundred-for-one. So you write a blog about something interesting that's going to help people, and you post it at violinist.com. And if you want, you can also post it at your own website. And it's going to be a piece of evergreen content that you can refer people back to over and over and over again. It's going to be a way that people are going to find out about you. It's going to add to your credibility and your authority on the subject, which is going to help you to succeed in your business and get more clients, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a player, whatever. So that's a little bit of uh, entrepreneurial advice uh, to top it off. But seriously, I mean, anybody listening to this, it's a it's a wonderful, almost untapped market. It's, it's a great invitation for you, a great opportunity for you to go to violence.com and be a part of the conversation. Lori, truly, this has been a real gift for me to be able to include you on the Creative Strings podcast. And I really, really appreciate you spending your time and being honest with me today. And thank you so much. It's been great to get to know you as well. So thank you. Well, I'm very honored. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you too, Christian. There you have it, episode 13. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe, share it, like it, tweet it. You can go to christianhouse.com and check out more at the show notes. And one more time, I want to thank our sponsors, Electric Violin Shop. You can find them at electricviolinshop.com. And Yamaha. I've been a Yamaha performing artist playing their electric violins for almost 20 years. Thanks to both of our sponsors. Thank you for checking it out and get in touch with me. Let me know what you think. If you don't want to do it on the comments, the show notes page, send me an email at chris at christianhouse.com. See you next time. <laughs>